Well, good morning, everyone. And I am glad each one of you are here. And if you would like to open your uh, Bibles along with me, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for your word because it truly is the lamp that guides us through this world. And I pray, Father, that you would use it to minister to each one of us this morning. And we thank you, Father, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how he is able to guide us and lead us in any direction that you desire. And Father, we lift up our sister Jill Putman as she is speaking on behalf of the unborn for New Hope in one of our sister churches today. I pray you'd anoint her and the words that she speaks would be words of passion and words of truth. And Father, I ask that you would prepare each one of our hearts to receive your word this morning. So come now and minister to us, I ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, I was thinking as we were singing our praise songs this morning, do you know what uh, the di most difficult part of preparing a uh, message is for Sunday morning as a pastor? Self. It really is. I mean, first I sit down and I look at the portion and I think, what am I going to do with this? That's self. And for 40 years, the Lord has always shown me what to do with it. And then when you get beyond that, you start putting the message together, then self comes back in because you're saying, you know what, this is pretty good. It's going to really impress the people. They're going to be so impressed when they hear me share this message. And the reality is, that is such a distraction from the very purpose God has given me in presenting his word. Because it's not my word, it's his word, it's not my truth, it's his truth. And the very reason that he called me and, and set me aside as a pastor is that I might be able to share his truth, his word with you, that you might be able to learn and take it into your heart and apply it to your lives. So I just pray that that is um, what happens this morning. Now, in this portion, we're going to find that the Lord has... Uh, a purpose in his word. He has a purpose in scripture. First, that we might know he is God. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so many people, well, I believe in this and I believe in that and I go here and I go there. It doesn't make any difference whether you go here or there, whether you believe in this or whether you believe in that. The fact of the matter is, who is God? Do you know God? Do you know who he is? And so we have to be willing to understand the very first thing that we need to do as Christians is know God, know who he is. And second, we need to know his requirements, to have fellowship with him, to have the assurance of heaven. But the third thing is also very important, and that is to know we can't keep those requirements perfectly. But God has come into the world as a propitiation for every one of our sins, he paid the price. He made the way. And yet he's given us his word as a light. He's given us his word as a direction. You know, I, I've shared this analogy probably 150,000 million zillion gazillion times. But I'm going to share it again right now because it applies. It's kind of like I remember uh, teaching my son, frankly, how to bat a ball. Some of you might remember teaching your children how to do that. And I don't know how old he was, maybe three or something. We had those little wiffle ball bats. 
And I'd stand there and I'd say, okay, when I tell you to swing, swing. And I'd throw the ball, and he swung and missed. Can you imagine if I would have said, you idiot child, you know what? I'm not even going to bother with you. What a horrible thing it would be to say, and he'd never learn to hit the ball. But I take the ball and I throw it and throw it and throw it. And then finally, one time I throw it, and bam, he hit it. And how exciting that was. And then he got so we could hit the ball more and more often. You see, that's how patient the Lord is with us. He gives us his standard, knowing that we're not going to hit the ball every time. In fact, it might even take a while for us to start hitting the ball. But he also knows as we continue on with him, seeking him, desiring to know his voice, to know his word, that we're going to hit the ball more and more often. And what that does when we're hitting that ball more often, it's not anything for us to be prideful about. It allows us to come into closer relationship with him. And when we come into closer relationship with him, we are naturally able to serve him more. That's the, that's the beautiful part of it. Now, we have to understand also that the covenant that we're studying this morning is not one of uh, condemnation. So many people think, oh, the law is just condemnation. No, it's not. The law is one of direction and encouragement to show us this is the way you need to go. You know, I, I shared this probably, um, you know, I don't know where it was, just last week sometime. And I was, I was sharing, the, maybe it was here in church last week, I don't know. But it was the fact that some of us remember when there were, there were you, you young people don't even know what this is, but at one time there was a thing called maps. You guys know what a map is? Most of you probably know. But anyway, I'm just joking. A map was this, remember you got them at the gas stations and you opened them up and folded them out and, and you, know, you could get them of, of New York State or you can even get them of a particular city of the whole country and you had to, to follow that. And sometimes you're driving along and you're wondering, am I on the right road? Am I on the right road? And then all of a sudden, you see a landmark that's on the map. You see a, a city coming up. Wow, I am on the right road. Do you see how the Word of God can do that for us as well? You know, sometimes we might feel lost, and we might feel like we're going here, and we might feel like we're going there. But the reality is, then all of a sudden, the Lord shows us a landmark in His work, and we say, yeah, I'm going in the right direction. I'm on the right road. And that's what God always desires of us. Because the voice of the Holy Spirit is able to speak to us through his word. And we have to understand, we have his word and we have his Holy Spirit, but his Holy Spirit will never contradict his word. And that's important because we're going to be talking about this a little bit later, but you have some people say, the Lord showed me, the Holy Spirit showed me. And you want to say to them, no, he didn't because it contradicts God's word. God can't contradict himself. Jesus Christ is the word of God to man, and the Holy Spirit is God. God cannot contradict himself. And so there's no one who can come up and say, well, the Lord has showed me this, the Lord has showed me that, because if it goes contrary to God's word, it was the person's flesh who showed him that. Okay. And we have to understand that it's always the Lord's outstretched arm that is reaching out to us. I don't care how long your arm is, you can't touch God. You can't reach God. 
but God can reach down to us and touch us. It's always the Lord. It's never us. It's always the Lord reaching to us. You know, that's why when you have someone who says, well, I, I, I think they're going to go to heaven because they're such a good person. Well, what you're actually saying is somehow they have established their own salvation. They've taken the place of God. The only way anyone is going to heaven is because God reached down to us and they grabbed the hold of his hand. That's called being born again of the Spirit. Now, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Deuteronomy 5, starting with verse 1. And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel. Now, the word Israel means wrestled with God and God prevailed. And we know this from, uh, if you take notes, Genesis 32, 24. Genesis 32, 24. Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which, which I speak to your uh, hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. It's not enough just to learn something. You have to do something with it. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our, fa with our fathers, but with us. Those who are here today, all of us who are alive, the Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to, to declare to you the word, word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and you shall have, and you shall have no other gods before me. It's amazing. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. You shall not make uh, for yourself carved images, any kind, uh, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So if someone hates the Lord, it's going to be reflected in their children. Someone who loves the Lord, it's going to be reflected in their children. That's what's being talked about here. Verse 11, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servants and your female servants may rest as well. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God 
is giving you. And it's telling us here, right off at the beginning, Moses called all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel. Now we have to understand the Lord is still calling out to us. Hear me, my people. But the fact is we have to be willing to listen. And listening isn't just the auditory, auditory function of the ear, and I don't want to get into all the anatomy of the ear, but it's not just that. Hearing is here. I hear you. I hear what you're saying, Lord. I understand. And it causes our heart to burn within us because when the Lord is speaking to us, it's always out of love. We have to understand, even when he's giving us his law, it's out of love. When you say to your children, you know what, honey, I don't want you running out in traffic. Why are you saying that to your child, I don't want you running out in traffic? Because you want to be mean to them? No, you're saying that because you don't want them to be injured or hurt. And the Lord our God gives us his word, not that he wants you know, to be mean to us or make life hard for us. He gives it to us that we won't be injured or hurt. When we walk close to the Lord, we're, we're walking close to safety. We're walking close to, you know, a, a caring that no human being can give. Okay. And, and another thing I, I have here is the Lord never give, gives commands to show who's boss. I'll show you who's boss. This is what you need to do. The Lord's commands are always about relationship and fellowship. God's desire, and I don't, I mean, it's so amazing to me. God's desire is to have relationship and fellowship with each one of us. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever, you know, when you meet someone when you're a kid, and all of a sudden you just kind of connect, and that person becomes your friend? It's so, so neat. This person really wants to be my friend. They want to be with me. They want to have fellowship. They want to do things with me. And all, all of us remember our best friend as a kid and so forth. I mean, most of you do. I never had one. No, I'm just joking. I had, this is going to sound really silly to you, but I had a group of friends through uh, uh, all junior high school and high school, and we were called the Cottage Lads. <laughs> <laughs> and we really were. Uh, a, a friend of, uh, one, one of the guys in the group had a, um, his parents had a cottage in the Shemung River, and they used to allow us to go and stay there sometimes during certain holiday breaks and like that. But it was so neat to have the fellowship of that group. Well, what a wonderful thing that God wants to have fellowship with us. And in us, in you and I having fellowship with God, we have what? Fellowship one with another. That's a beautiful thing. And what is our fellowship? that we think exactly alike, that we have all the same hobbies, that we do all the same things. No, no, no. Our fellowship that draws us together is our love for the Lord. Because we have that one thing in common. The Lord is the one who's to be number one in our life. He's the one who's to be our guide and our father. And uh, another thing that's interesting here is in this portion, he's talking about the fact, he said, I didn't make this covenant with your fathers. I made this covenant with you. And that's the same way today. God doesn't have grandchildren. He has sons and daughters. There's no past tense with the Lord. It is present tense. You belong to the Lord. You are his. And it's a wonderful thing 
to hear 45 years later after I heard the voice of the Lord to know I still have that intimate fellowship with him. You can't rest on past fellowship. Well, I can remember back when I first got saved, I was such a great Christian. Well, if you're saved, you should be growing in your relationship and walk with the Lord. It's not looking back and saying what a great Christian I was, and we should never be prideful in talking about what a great Christian we are anyway. But the point is, it's our present relationship with the Lord. And to be able to say, no matter how long we've been walking with the Lord, to be able to say, I serve the Lord with all my heart as much as I did when I first got saved. And that's the way it should be. You know, um, Moses was a type, it tells us here, as a type of mediator standing between the people and the Lord. Because they were frightened. I mean, God came. Well, it's interesting how fickle people were because all the people of Israel were saying, we want to hear the voice of the Lord. And finally, the, the Lord came on the mountain in the midst of the fire and his voice rang out. And the people got all afraid and said, Moses, you, you just talk to God and we'll do whatever he tells you. So Moses was a type of mediator between God and the people. And you and I have even a greater mediator between us and God, the man Christ Jesus. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now understand, Jesus is fully God, fully man. And it was in his humanity that he was able to bring redemption and to bring us back into relationship with God. He paid the price, paid the full price. Now, Jesus' mediation was not to destroy the law, Scripture tells us, but to fulfill the law. That which we were not able to do, he did for us. He paid the full penalty and the full price for sin that you and I might have life. Think about it. You know that song we sing? He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. You could try with all your religiosity your entire life. You can never pay your own debt. Jesus paid it all. And all we have to do is receive. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. What could be plainer? What could be clearer? It's a free gift. Have Jesus, have life. You don't have Jesus, you don't have life. And that is what should really motivate each one of us to have a heart of evangelism. I mean, if we look at all those around us who don't know Christ, at work, our friends, our family, does our heart pang with passion to share the gospel with them? Or do we just want to hang out? Or we don't want to offend anyone? We don't want to rock the boat. No, we have to have that desire to be evangelists. Moses was a mediator to the people of Israel. Jesus is our mediator, and God often uses us to bring the truth of Jesus Christ to others around us. There's not too many people, I mean, I'm sure there are some, but there are most people who, who actually came to the Lord, it was because someone shared Christ with them. There are those that just started reading the Bible and got saved. There are. But the reality is, most people, it's because someone shared with them. I remember years ago, I don't even know how many years ago, that's how many years it was, but a long time ago, 
And um, there was a, a, a pastor's conference actually out in, in Plasky. And the teacher we had was sharing. And, and the church was full. There, there were probably, I don't know, maybe five or 600 people in, in, in the church, at, you know, pastors and wives and so forth. And he was sharing. And he said, I just want to do a little survey here. He said, how many of you were saved just from reading the Bible? Two or three stood up. Then he said, okay, how many of you were saved through evangelistic services, like Billy Graham and like that? There were like three or four stood up. Then he said, how many of you were saved because someone shared Christ personally with you? The majority of the congregation stood. And so we have to understand, you, brothers and sisters, might be the very means that God desires to use to share Christ, to bring Christ to the lost around you, whether it's family, friends, or whatever. Now, we, we understand as we read this portion, God not only brought Israel out of the house of bondage, but we know that God also brought us out of the house of bondage and sin. We were bound by sin. I mean, we might as well have had chains wrapped around us. You know that song, The Chains Came Free? We might as well have had chains wrapped around us. We were in bondage. And then when the Spirit of God came, those chains broke free. And now we're able to have relationship with our God. Not that we're perfect, not that we came to this place where we never committed sin, but because of his mediation, we're able to have that continuous relationship. You know, Vi and I, in February, will be married 50 years. And we have had a continuous relationship based on love for the Lord and for one another. Now, if I told you, you know, from the day we were saved, Vi and I have never had an argument. We've never had a disagreement. We've always I, I'd be lying to you, and you guys all know that. And so we have to understand that even when we're born again, it doesn't mean that we don't ever have a problem. But the difference is that in our relationship with the Lord, it's never the Lord, it's always us that the root of the problem lies. It's never him. He's perfect in all his ways, Scripture tells us. But it's us. But yet, we have continued. I think one of the most encouraging things for every one of us as believers is we're still walking with the Lord. Do you ever think about that? I still belong to him. I'm still his. In First um, Peter, why don't you turn here? First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation. Now, here's the interesting thing. What generation is, is Peter talking about? The ones he was preaching to? He was talking about anyone who was reading this. Then and now. You, brothers and sisters, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, the purpose of evangelism is to proclaim the everlasting gospel. In Matthew 5.20 it says, For I say to you that unless 
your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you, shall, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And when the Lord shared that with the people, they were amazed. You know why? Because to them, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the religious people. And our righteousness is to exceed theirs. What, what does that mean? Well, here's the problem. The scribes and Pharisees were religious people. It was man-made religion. And we have to realize, and what God is telling the people here, our righteousness can exceed theirs because we don't desire to follow a bunch of rules and regulations. We desire to have fellowship with him, the living God. I mean, those of us that have family and friends, we just want to have fellowship with them. We don't want to get together and debate whether who's done this and who's done that and what regulation and this regulation and that regulation. It's a matter of fellowship. It's a matter of having relationship with the Lord. And one of the things we have to understand is that Israel, when they were brought out of bondage, they knew they were in bondage. And one of the important things for you and I is to know that we were in bondage and when we are in bondage. You and I were in bondage to sin in the world. We were in bondage and God brought us out of that. But even as believers, at times there are things that easily entangle us, as scriptures say. And it puts us in bondage. You know what I'm saying? And so um, we have to <clears throat> realize that we need to see our need before we seek our solution. That's really important. Now, um, it also tells us in this portion that we're to have no other God's before us. And it says, you shall have no uh, other gods before me. <clears throat> you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The thing we have to understand is, is how pagan and unthankful it would be for us to try to convert the eternal God into some pagan image of our own. And when it talks about the water below, you had Dagon, the fish god, and you, you had all the, like the Greeks had all the gods in heaven, and, and those on earth, you know, you had all these different... And so people, what they would do is they would take and fashion gods. In fact, when you read... Uh, the epistles, you'll find that um, Paul had to confront those that were making idols, and they were very angry about it. But anyway, people make these idols. They're just made by human hands, and then they would place them in their house as their household gods, and they'd bow down and worship them. But what they didn't realize is if we had the ability to form God according to our understanding, according to our image, then we become God. We're not allowing God to be God. Because Job tells us that the fullness of God cannot be known. Now, we know God, no stokes, we know God in an intimate way through salvation, through his word, and by his Holy Spirit. But to know all of who God is, we can't. The, the immensity, the immobility, you know, the omnipresence. The, I mean, all the attributes of God are so far beyond us because 
He's not created. He's beyond creation. He created everything that is created. And so it's so important for us not to try to form God into our own image. And you might say, well, I don't do that. I don't have any household gods in my house and this and that. But do we try to make God according to our own understanding, according to our own desires? Well, this is what I think God is. Well, you, just by saying that, you've already thought wrong. <laughs> because you can't think who God is. He's God. He's beyond anything that we can imagine. And yet so many people... And that's what the problem with religion is. Religion is just trying to make God into your own... Well, this is God. Well, no, he's not. God isn't some statue in front of a church. God isn't in a Eucharist. God is in heaven. Heaven above. It's amazing. Now, the thing we have to realize is that understand he is, it tells us here, he's a jealous God. Well, he's not jealous in the sense that you and I are jealous because a lot of times our jealousy is just in the flesh. But he's jealous in the sense that he claims ownership for us. He created us and he claimed ownership for us. So it's jealous in the sense, I don't want anyone else messing around with my creation. I don't want any other false teaching and so forth coming in. This, this is my creation, and that's why he's given us his eternal word, that we might be kept within the boundaries of his truth. Because so many people think, well, I believe God is right there, wrong. It doesn't make any difference who or what you believe God is. God is, period. I am who I am, when they wanted to know his name. He's the self-existent God. And like Job 36, 26 tells us, he's unknowable to really know. We can know what he has shown us in his word. We can know relationship with him through salvation. But to know all of who God is, we don't have that capacity. Maybe when we're glorified in heaven with him, we will be able to understand that a little bit. What does it mean when it talks about not taking the name of the Lord in vain? Well, one is obvious. You don't use him as a swear word. You know, you don't use it as God damning something or use the name of, of uh, Jesus our Christ as a swear. It, it obviously means not taking uh, the name of the Lord as a swear word. But it can also mean taking the name of the Lord and uh, placing it on a thought of your own. And that's why we have to be careful. You have some people that will say, well, the Lord has shown me. The Lord has declared. This is what God has shown me. Well, does it line up with the word of God? I don't care what, God, what you think God has shown you. Let me share with you from Jeremiah. If you want to turn there, you can. Jeremiah 14, and I'm going to read verse 14. Jeremiah 14, 14. Jeremiah 14, 14. And the Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you false visions, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. And I've been places where you've had someone stood up and said, thus saith the Lord, or the Lord has shown me, and they, and they say something, and, and right in my own mind, I can think that's contra, uh, you know, contradictory to Scripture, 
And it, Scripture tells us, tells us is if a prophet is wrong on one point, he's a false prophet. And so we need to be very careful to be saying, well, the Lord showed me this, the Lord showed me that. Well, maybe he has, but you better be careful. I prefer to say, I feel like the Lord has shown me this or that. But we'll, we'll see. There are three purposes in keeping the Sabbath, okay? To commemorate creation, to give rest to man and beast, and to give time for the individual to meditate on the ways of the Lord. And um, it's interesting because God gave this day as a gift. It was not meant to be some kind of a burden that people carried. It was meant to be a gift that everyone could stop from their labors and just have a time to worship the Lord. And for you ladies, it was interesting that on the Sabbath, no cooking was allowed. No, really. <laughs> Amen. No cooking was allowed. It was all about just having a day of rest and worshiping the Lord. <clears throat> now, the question that many ask me, is there a Sabbath for the Christian? And here's my answer. Yes and no. And you might think that's an ambiguous answer, but I'll try to explain it a little bit. Uh, there isn't a Sabbath as outlined for Israel here, you know, a legalistic Sabbath day set apart. But there is a day set apart for believers to worship. Communal fellowship and worship is so important for believers. It really is. In fact, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and go to verse 24. Hebrews chapter 10, go to verse 24. 10, 24. And I love the way this portion starts because it's not self-centered. It says, let us consider one another, each other, you and I, in order to stir up love and good works and not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And it's interesting because this is the same word that is used in Thessalonians in relationship to the rapture and being caught up together. So it's talking about the whole body of believers coming together. As is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Look at your Bible. Did you notice something unusual? Day is capitalized. At least it should be in your Bible. It's because the word for day, day there is hermia, and it's not hermia. And the difference is it means a special day. It's capitalized because it's a special day. So obviously, there seems to be a day, a time that God has set aside for believers to come together, to have fellowship with one another, to encourage one another as we see that day approaching. And that day is approaching. You know, uh, during our prayer time, someone was telling me that they're reading an article that in Muslim countries, the average lifespan for a Christian, for a new believer, is 15 minutes. Do most of you realize that there are more Christians that are martyred today than any other time in history on a daily basis? Think about it. Think of the freedom we have. We can come to church freely and worship the Lord. We don't have to worry. Well, not right now anyway. We don't have to worry about someone coming in and breaking down the doors and throwing us in jail or killing us. 
we have this freedom to come together and to worship the Lord. And that's why I, I, it's so important when we look at that. It says, do not forsake the gathering of yourself together. God has given us a day to worship. Now, we believe from Scripture that the original Sabbath was the sixth day, or the seventh day, Sunday, the sixth day, the sixth day, seventh day, dead, dead. Anyway, <laughs> do you ever have your mind go, you're not thinking, but God created in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Okay, so Saturday was the, his, the day of rest. That was the original Sabbath. But then there was a new creation, and that is the creation of new life in Jesus Christ. And Christians have always worshipped that on the day, have had that day of gathering together on the day Jesus rose from the dead, the first day of the week, Sunday. That's why we gather on Sunday. Let me just give you some examples if you take notes. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, Matthew 28, 1, Mark 16, 9. The disciples met on the first day of the week after the resurrection, John 20, 19, Acts 27. The first day of the week was called the Lord's Day, Revelation 1, 10. So in other words, we don't have a Sabbath where it is like in the Old Testament, a bunch of rules and regulations, you can't do this and you can't do that. But we do have a day that God has set apart for us to come together and to worship him and to be in communion and fellowship with him. You know, I'm not trying to be legalistic, okay? I'm really not. But how many of us, no matter how much we are moved by a sermon, by a message, go home and just take time to contemplate it and to have relationship and fellowship with God? Or how often do we leave church and it's like, now I'm free to do what I want to do. Well, you should be. Here, now, I'm, I'm not contradicting myself, but I believe that after church, if you and your family or, or you and your friends normally go out and play golf, go ahead. But consider the Lord. I mean, you don't have to be sitting in your house with your Bible open in your lap to be considering the Lord and thinking of, of the Lord. But this is a day to contemplate him, to have relationship with him. Now, Honoring your father and mother or respecting them is a command of God. Not if you think they're worthy, but rather because it is his command. In Ephesians 6.10, it says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Now, the words for father and mother in Hebrew here can be taken either literally or figuratively. In other words, words, it could not only be just your physical father and mother, it could be those who care for you, both physically and spiritually. They could be, you know, a father and mother in that sense. And, and you're to honor them, not in the sense of mother, father, you know, not like that. It's having a respect for them in your heart. You know, I, I respect you. And I think that's very important. And so, when we look at this portion Overall, what it's telling us, and, and Pastor Frank Jr. will be getting into this in the second service as well, we're giving these Ten Commandments, and we often think of those only as the law for the Jews. But Jesus said, I did not come to fulfill, you know, to, to uh, abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So the commandments 
in us are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So what a wonderful guide to see all that the Lord has done for us. Do you ever think about that when you study the commandments? It's so important. So let's take to heart what God has shown us and apply it to our lives. Father in heaven, we come before you in Jesus Yeshua's name, and we thank you so much for your word and for the truth that you've given us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would take the words that we have heard this morning and allow your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding of how to apply to our individual lives. And Father, I pray your blessing on each one who's here. Encourage them and commission them, Lord, with your Holy Spirit to be your witness everywhere they go. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. And God bless you, my friends.